welcome to this week's episode of Honestly Speaking with Tara. This is a special post-midterm election episode that I'm dropping on a Thursday as opposed to Tuesday, which is our normal day. But next week we'll go back to Tuesday. But I figured there was so much going on with the midterm elections, I might as well drop the episode afterwards so we had lots to talk about. And is there a lot to talk about? My goodness. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, Honestly speaking, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. George Orwell. Well, I am um, exhausted. (laughs) It's been quite the whirlwind lead up to these midterms and covering the midterms. And I was up to 2 a.m. with ABC doing midterm coverage um, on their digital platform. The night before I was on CNN with Don Lemon until 2 a.m. It's uh, But we live for this kind of stuff. I mean, there's a lot going on. It was unbelievably consequential election. And uh, so that's what, you know, when you're in politics and you're in media and you live and breathe this stuff, that's how it goes. So I'm a little delirious, but that's okay. It's well worth it. Well worth it. I have an excellent interview with my friend A.B. Stoddard coming up in this episode. A.B. has been around as a congressional reporter and commentator for many years. And and we talk a little bit about the implications of of the midterms and what's going on. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up after after this. So um, we'll be listening for A.B., and man, this, uh, it's been a day. It, it, it really has been a day. I'm recording this on Wednesday, the, the aftermath of, of the midterms on the 7th. And <clears throat> I really thought that it was just going to be kind of one of those days where we talked about all the, the data and the exit polls and the results of the, of the midterms. But <laughs> no, there's more. <laughs> The freaking attorney general got fired today. Yes, Jeff Sessions is out. Now, however you feel about Jeff Sessions, I know my, my Democratic friends couldn't stand him. Um, I, I was agnostic on Jeff Sessions. I mean, as a conservative, I didn't have a problem really with Jeff Sessions. But he, um, he was actually a pretty decent attorney general from our perspective. And, but Donald Trump has emasculated him since about, I don't know, two months into his tenure. Why? Because Jeff Sessions recused himself very early on from the Russia probe because he wasn't completely forthright during his confirmation hearing about his interactions with Russians during the campaign. So you can't have an attorney general who is potentially a material witness in an investigation. So he recused himself, which was the proper thing to do. That's what the Department of Justice lawyers suggested. They said, yeah, you're going to kind of have to back away from this if there's ever an investigation. Well, after Donald Trump decided to fire the FBI director, an investigation happened. A special counsel, a special prosecutor was appointed and Jeff Sessions had to step away and his deputy, Rod Rosenstein, took over. And here we are. We've had the Mueller probe, right? The Mueller probe was born a year and a half ago. And it's been the bane of Donald Trump's existence ever since then. And he has done nothing but berate Jeff Sessions every day since then. I mean, in ways I've never seen before in politics. He, he would tweet at him all these horrible things about, you know, how ineffective he was and what is he doing? And I mean, just fire him then. 
I mean, the, the attorney general, your cabinet officers serve at the pleasure of the president. But the president, Mr. Uh, you're fired, right? That's his catchphrase. Everybody knew him for from The Apprentice. He doesn't fire anybody directly. He, he, he leaves his minions to do it or he does it by tweet. What a coward. But anyway, so Jeff Sessions, we knew Jeff Sessions was on the chopping block. He'd been a dead man walking for quite some time. It was just a matter of when. But he was beloved by his Senate colleagues and very popular with, with Donald Trump's base he was one of the first first elected officials to come out and endorse Donald Trump um, early on. He was a loyalist, but he also understood his role as attorney general and knew that his loyalty had to ultimately be to the Constitution and that the he, he treated the attorney general's position and the Department of Justice as an apolitical organ, which is what it's supposed to be, supposed to be. You know, Trump has done all kinds of things outside norms and processes here, but it, I will give Jeff Sessions credit for that. At least he had enough respect for constitutional authority to know better. But uh, he's out. And we didn't know. I didn't think it was going to be the Wednesday after midterms. I mean, things get a little kooky after midterms, depending on what the results are. And now we have a divided government, right? Republicans lost the House. They gained seats in the Senate. So now we have a divided government. It's no more one government, one party government rule in Washington. And, you know, I kind of almost feel bad for Jeff Sessions because he was just trying to keep his head down and, and be an adult and just do his job as the attorney general. And he survived for a year and a half, almost two. Uh, it was his dream job. That's really what he wanted to do. And he was unceremoniously fired by the chief of staff, John Kelly, because like I said, Trump is too much of a coward to do it himself. Um, and there were some people who didn't even know what happened. They found out by news accounts. <laughs> this this administration is just so screwed up. Oh my God, it's so dysfunctional. But anyway, so I found out while I was standing on set getting ready to, to do a, um, in a, a British channel um Channel 4 in Britain, a uh, post-election hit for them, and I heard it in my IFP, and I went, my IFP, and I said, holy shit, Sessions is out now? It just never ends. It really doesn't. But, like I said, we're not surprised he was going to go, because a lot of times, like I said, cabinet members, there's a reshuffling of cabinet members and, and senior level staff after about two years, because people burn out. They just, they do. It's, it's incredibly stressful working in an administration. So that's not abnormal. But what is abnormal about this is just the way it was done and the fact that the Mueller investigation is kind of hanging over all of this and the Department of Justice controls it. And who is in the, that position? Rod Rosenstein, the, uh, the deputy assistant attorney general, deputy attorney general, he'd been in charge of this because Sessions recused himself. Trump thought he was going to have a lackey in Sessions that was going to protect him from anything. Um, whether it was proper or not, that's just not the way it goes. And Sessions refused to do that. So he fell out of favor with Trump. And Rod Rosenstein has been a career Department of Justice, Justice official. And he was a prosecutor, U.S. attorney. And he's been doing a great job running the Mueller investigation. It's been very fair. But he controls how much the, the special prosecutor can investigate, what he can investigate, what areas of things he finds, 
Like if he's in, because his mandate's pretty broad. So if, if Bob Mueller is investigating Russian collusion, but along the way finds out that there's been some kind of financial impropriety by, oh, I don't know, Donald Trump Jr. or Jared Kushner and, and the Russians or the Saudis or whoever the hell else, he's allowed to investigate that. And that's Donald Trump's worst fear, which is why he always freaks out about this Mueller investigation, because we all know Donald Trump's business practices are corrupt as hell. He does all kinds of shady stuff. And guess what? Now that the Democrats control the House of Representatives, they can subpoena Donald Trump's tax returns. Yes, they can. So buckle up, folks. This is going to be a very eventful next two years. Not only do you have Republicans out of power and Democrats in controlling stuff, we've got a presidential election coming up. (laughs) So (laughs) this is going to be nuts. Speaking of nuts, the press conference today, the post midterm press conference with the president was insane. He started off pretty calm. He was, you know, talking about unity and congratulating Nancy Pelosi, which I still think he's being facetious with. And uh, I was joking. I'm like, what do they have? They put some Xanax in his Diet Coke because he was awfully calm. And I ran into Laura Coates. I was in the CNN bureau. I ran into uh, Laura Coates there and we we were kind of joking with each other like, wow, he's awfully subdued. And we said, yeah, how long is that going to last? We thought maybe like a day. No, it lasted like 15 minutes because the rest of the press conference was off the rails. He went after one reporter after the other. There was a really contentious exchange between my my colleague Jim Acosta at CNN and Trump and a White House aide tried to pull the mic from Jim Acosta and it was a whole kerfuffle. It was just, uh, he yelled at April Ryan, another one of my colleagues at CNN, to sit down and he accused Yamishi Alcindor of, of New York Times of being a... Um, is that is she with the New York Times? No, she's not with the New York Times anymore. Uh, PBS, she's with PBS. Anyway, he yelled at her, you know, called her a racist because she asked him about the, you know, him taking on the moniker of being a nationalist. I mean, it was out of control. He talked about retaliation against Democrats that they tried to investigate him, and it was it was just an hour plus of. <sighs> just hysteric it's just hysterics and and I said to myself I even tweeted it out I'm like this is a microcosm of what the next two years is going to look like it's 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 not going to be pretty it's not I know my democrat friends are really happy today because democrats have taken the house back but that's only one third one half of one third of the government they can't do much tangibly as far as passing legislation but what they can do is make Trump's life miserable and the administration's life miserable. Because when you get the House powers back, you get committee chairmanships back. And with the power of committee chairmanships, you have the power to subpoena. And it's a very powerful tool. Because despite the way Republicans behave, they pretty much absconded this this, um, responsibility under Trump. But you have oversight responsibility. You know, each committee has their areas of of expertise, you know, the Commerce Committee, the uh, Ways and Means, which is taxes, um, intelligence, military, you know, they they, so they oversee the different cabinets, cabinet um, departments, 
and they can call them up to testify in front of Congress and explain, force them to explain what's going on. So we'll probably see some more transparency about things, which is, I think is a good thing. And a lot of people, I think, were sick and tired of the Republicans just letting Trump get away with whatever he wanted. They were, it was a joke. The oversight capacity, the oversight committee was a joke. And I like Trey Gowdy, but he, I don't know what happened to him. He was the chairman. He decided not to run for Congress anymore. He retired. And now Elijah Cummings is going to run that, that committee. Elijah Cummings from Maryland, he doesn't play. So look out. Maxine Waters is going to be chairman of chairwoman of the finance committee. That's not going to make Donald Trump happy. <laughs> Low IQ Maxine. I'm not a fan of Maxine Waters, but you know, the nicknames, it's just so degrading and just racist. But anyway, but um, yeah, today, whew, this was a, a unbelievable day between the press conference and then the news of Sessions being fired. The fallout of Sessions being fired is actually just bigger than the chaos of it all. The person that they uh, that he appointed as the acting attorney general was Sessions chief of staff, this guy named um, Matthew Whitaker. And this is a problem. Whitaker is a partisan, blatant partisan. He also takes Trump's position against Mueller. He thinks the Mueller investigation is a witch hunt, that there's overreach. Before he got his job in the Department of Justice, he was out there doing media interviews, including on CNN with Don Lemon, talking about ways to undermine the Mueller investigation when it was first, um, when the Mueller investigation was first put, put uh, you know, came to fruition back in June of 2000, what was it, May or June of 2017, he said, oh, well, if you want to, if you want to starve it to death, you can just not fund it. You know, you don't have to fire Mueller, just don't fund it. <laughs> so that's a, to me, putting someone like him now as the acting attorney general, that means he takes over the Mueller, the, the running the Mueller investigation. He takes that away from Rod Rosenstein. That looks like obstruction of justice to me. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an expert in the way the Department of Justice works, but I do know a little bit about politics and and I know a little bit about the way Watergate went down. I mean, if anyone go back and, and you know, there's a lot of programs on now about Watergate just because there's so many parallels to the way that Trump behaved and the way Nixon behaved. Now, we don't know if Trump has done the same outright corrupt things that were law-breaking things that Nixon did. We don't know that yet. That's what Mueller is looking into. But the way he attacks the media, the enemy of the people stuff, and just how vindictive he is, and all of the behind the scenes kind of unsavory things. I mean, it's very, it's, there's a lot of parallels to what happened during Watergate and the cover ups. There's a lot of programs on the History Channel and stuff that have been on lately. I've been watching them, kind of reliving that in, uh, you know, the, that, that era. And there was the Saturday Night Massacre which I'm sure a lot of you have heard that term being used anytime Trump starts talking about Mueller or the conversation about possibly firing Bob Mueller comes up. They talk about, oh, let's, you know, we have another Saturday Night Massacre. Well, that refers to when Nixon was on the verge of getting 
outed about the fact that he knew about the break-in in in Watergate and had tapes and recorded things and instructed people to break the law. And he was trying to do everything he possibly could to make sure those tapes didn't see the light of day. So he fired the special counsel and, but the, he can't fire him directly. The attorney general has to, well, the attorney general at the time said, no, I'm not doing it. And then the deputy attorney general said, no, I'm not doing it. So Trump, I mean, Trump, seeing Freudian slip, Nixon fired all of them and he had to get all the way down to the solicitor general to find someone in the, in the succession chart that would be willing to fire the special counsel. And it happened to be Robert Bork, who was the solicitor general at the time. And later on, he was a Supreme Court nominee that went down in flames back in the 80s. But anyway, so this whole thing with Sessions, we felt like um, it's been kind of we're on the, the verge of a Saturday, another Saturday Night Massacre. My colleague at CNN, Jake Tapper, said it's been a, a slow burning uh, run up to a Saturday Night Massacre because we've just kind of been seeing the way that Trump has treated Sessions this whole time. And now he installs this guy, this Matthew Whitaker, who is a complete partisan into this position. What is he going to do? It's clear that Trump is uh, feels emboldened by the fact that Republicans won extra seats in the House, in the Senate. So they've expanded their majority in the Senate. And the Senate, you know, they have separate powers from what the House does. The Senate confirms cabinet members. They confirm judges. They confirm Supreme Court justices. They also are a firewall. If the House passes bills and legislation that the president doesn't want, it can go to the Senate to die. The inverse happened when Barack Obama was president. Republicans controlled the House. Democrats controlled the Senate. So Republicans would do all whatever they wanted in the House and pass different bills, like the 30 times they passed bills to repeal Obamacare, it went nowhere because it went to the Senate and Harry Reid ran the Senate at the time. And he was like, no, we're never we're never taking this legislation up. So now the inverse is happening, the reverse. And Trump feels emboldened by this, though. He's kind of like, well, he wrote off the House. Ah, whatever. I don't need the, the, the House representatives. I've, I've got my buddies in the Senate who are going to protect me. That's not their job. That's not their job. In my conversation with A.B. Stoddard coming up, we, we talk about that a little bit, about what about her sources and what they've said about Trump's behavior and you know how they react to it. It's an interesting stories she tells. But this guy, Whitaker, we already have Democrats coming out saying he should recuse himself. Sure, of course, I have to agree with them. You can't go, you you can't have all of these public statements about the way to undermine the special counsel and now you're in charge of it. That's a freaking conflict of interest. Republicans would never put up with that if it was the other, she was on the other foot. So we got to stay tuned to see how this all plays out. You know, this is um, a fast moving, developing story. And um, I'm very concerned. The rule of law is that under assault in this administration. It is. And a lot of the American people recognize that with this administration, which is why Trumpism, one of the reasons why Trumpism was repudiated in the congressional congressional elections. One of the reasons why I, for the first time in my life, actually voted Democrat. 
those of you who follow me on Twitter and Instagram saw that I posted the video from election day. It was pouring rain here in Northern Virginia, but I went and I, um, I voted and I, you know, it was surreal for me. Never done that before, but this administration, I had to send a message. I'm sorry for those Republicans who probably didn't deserve to lose because they were decent Republicans, but they did not stand up to Trump enough. And if you didn't stand up and you didn't do what you knew was right because you were afraid of the ire of Trump or his crazy supporters, well, then you've got to go. Maybe now you can think about it. So I did. I voted uh, in Virginia. I voted um, Democrat. And I'm okay with that this time around. Now, if I'd been in New Jersey, because I just moved back to the D.C. area, if I'd stayed in Jersey, I don't think I could have voted for Bob Menendez because he's corrupt as all hell. And um, morally, I couldn't have done it there. But here in Virginia, I voted for Tim Kaine. There was no fucking way I was voting for Corey Stewart. He's a racist and a despicable person. And I cannot believe that the Virginia Republican Party has allowed this guy. He, he came within a percentage point or two of being the gubernatorial Republican nominee a couple years ago. And then he won the senatorial nomination. Insane. So now I, I couldn't wait to cast a ballot against him. So sometimes you just have to put country over party. And that's what I did this time. That's what I did. And I was not alone. I was not alone. Republicans got their asses handed to them in suburban districts all over this country. We predicted, those of us that pay attention to this stuff, we predicted that women would be, an, would be a factor in these suburban districts, and they absolutely were. Not only were they a factor as voters, and from, I mean, and it was not just in one concentrated area in the country. It was across the country from upstate New York to South Florida to Denver to the suburbs of Houston, suburbs of, of uh, Utah, a suburb of Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Women beat out Republican incumbents and good for them. Good for them. My home state of New Jersey we had a kick-ass woman who, a uh, Democrat, she was a, a helicopter pilot. She's got four kids. She was a, a federal prosecutor. And, you know, good for her. Mikey Sherrill, good for her. I may not agree with all of her policies, but you know what? She won an open seat that was, hasn't been Republican in, I mean, that was Republican for 30 years. Has not been in Democrat hands for 30 years. And she won it. Yeah, you got to send a message. Good for her. A lot of women veterans uh, won this time too, which is, um, which I think is pretty cool. <laughs> but back to some of the other races. Um, I know my Democrat friends are heartbroken over their, their rising stars who lost. Andrew Gillum in Florida, he ran a good race. It was very close. Um, but Ron DeSantis brought in the big guns and pulled it out. You know, Florida is such a weird state. I think there might be a recount in that Senate race. And as of right now, it still hasn't been called between um, Rick Scott and, and Bill Nelson. So, but it looks like Rick Scott's going to pull that out. He was a popular governor and he did some smart stuff after the hurricanes. He, um, he went and he actually 
he actually stood up to Trump over his despicable behavior with Puerto Rico. And um, Rick Scott made sure down in South Florida that he was very welcoming to the Puerto Ricans who came to Florida after Hurricane Maria and Irma. So I think that helped him. But he was a good governor in Florida. And he took out uh, Democrat incumbent Bill Nelson. But yep, Andrew Gillum, he lost uh, Stacey Abrams in Georgia. I know um, there was a lot of star power. I mean, Oprah went down to help her and Will Farrell and lots of folks tried to help her. And she would have been the first black female governor in the United States. But she fell short. A lot of shenanigans in that race. It got very racial. Um, I didn't like the voter suppression stuff going on down there. I don't like the fact that Brian Kemp, who was the secretary of state, who runs the elections, he was running for governor and he never recused himself from that position. I just don't think that that's right. And there was all kinds of shenanigans going on there. But she lost pretty handily. So, uh, But Georgia, you know, it's Georgia. You know what I mean about that. Texas. I'm not a fan of Ted Cruz. I He gets on my nerves. I really can't stand Ted Cruz. I just think he's a jerk. And I'm not alone in that. He's not well liked by his Senate colleagues. Like people don't really like Ted Cruz. But he knows his stuff. And you now it's Texas. So but Beto O'Rourke, he's a rising star. People murmurings of him being the next Barack Obama and he had a following and he raised 70 something million dollars for a Senate race in Texas. That is unbelievable. It's extraordinary. $38 million in the last quarter. Extraordinary. He did all that and lost. But his, um, the, I mean, the voter turnout overall, the turnout in this election was up in every category. And uh, he, he certainly, he gave, he gave, Ted Cruz will run for his money. He only lost by, I think, two percentage points, which is remarkable in Texas. It's Texas. A.B. Stoddard and I have a, a, a good conversation about the future of Beto work in, in my interview with her coming up. I think you'll be interested in it. But yeah, well, you guys came close, though. I don't think that's the last we'll hear of Beto. Um, what else? Let's see. Well, a couple other things really quickly, and then I want to get to the interview with AB because we have a lot of fun and we have some reaction about what happened with Sessions and some of the implications as well. But something else to pay attention to uh, is where, you know, Donald Trump is trying to say that this was a victory lap and how wonderfully Republicans did. Sort of. Republicans are, should be happy with the Senate gains. That's important for them. And I'm not really that upset that the Republicans have control of the Senate. We need to have balance. But you cannot ignore the fact that losing the House is a big deal. I got into an argument with one of my friends, whether it was a wave or not, and whether this constitutes a wave election. It wasn't as big of a wave as Republicans had in 2010 with Barack Obama. I mean, 63 seats. That was a shellacking and Obama knew it. It wasn't as big of a wave as in 1994, where Republicans took the Congress back after 40 years of wilderness. The Democrats controlled the House of Representatives for 40 years until 1994. That was the first big election cycle I'd ever been involved in. I was 19 years old. It was 
amazing. I had so much fun. I learned so much. But I was there. It was called the Republican Revolution. That was the rise of Newt Gingrich and his whole crew and the contract with America and all of that and under Bill Clinton. And so those were wave elections. This one was kind of like a ripple. It was, it's about 28 seats now. A couple of seats are still too close to call. Might end up being a couple over 30, maybe 32 or so. Not a tsunami at all. It was a ripple, but it was consequential because Republicans lost the House, Democrats won it. So we can't ignore that. But where Democrats did kick the Republicans' ass was in suburban areas. I mentioned this before. You cannot have a 20-point gender gap, which is how much white Republican, I'm sorry, white suburban educated women voted 20-plus percentage points more in favor of Democrats. 60 to 39, 21%. That is a statement. Men, it was closer. It was 48-50. Democrat, Republican. But that gender gap, that's going to be a problem for Republicans in the long run. I warned that this would be a byproduct of the Donald Trump presidency. And I have proven proven to be right again. I don't want to be right about these things. But women have had enough. They've had enough. And I don't blame them. And we actually have a record number of women in Congress now, over 100 women. I think that's phenomenal, regardless of party affiliation. Obviously, this time around, they're mostly Democrats. But I just think more women in power is is a good thing. And um, it's all kinds of diverse women. And I just think that that's, that's good for America. Donald Trump wants to make America great again. I you know, I have, I, 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 differ with him on what that means because I think America's always been great but he doesn't like to see this kind of progress this kind of diversity too effing bad too bad so go women yay happy about that well now that midterms are over you can start thinking about something else how about great looking new blinds for your windows that's why blinds galore is around BlindsGalore.com was the first place to buy custom window treatments online so they know what they're doing. Not only have they been in business for over 20 years, but they're a family-owned business and they've covered over 2 million windows so they know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it so easy. Blinds Galore creates 100% custom window treatments built to your exact measurements down to every detail. You get professional design quality products, but not at designer prices. In fact, they beat the big box store prices. Blinds Galore products are hand-built from scratch. They're delivered right to your door, and they're created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, they're the wrong color, you measure them wrong, you just don't like the style, you can exchange it for anything for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Whether you need more privacy, you want to sleep in, 
or you just want to fix up a room, BlindsGalore.com has just what you're looking for. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know that I, Tara Setmayer, sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. My friend A.B. Stoddard, another woman who I think is a kick-ass woman, who is going to join me to talk about the elections and get get some reaction to what happened, not only today with the with the press conference and sessions, but just, you know, where we go from here, what the, what the implications are and, and, um, and what it means, what, what it means. So some of you may recognize AB from Fox news and CNN, where she appears as a commentator and has for several years, but she's also the associate editor and columnist at real clear politics and she has been covering the Congress since 1994. Um, I, I know the feeling. I was, th- I was there as an intern and she was there covering it. So I'm thrilled to have A.B. Stoddard joining me on the special midterm election edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara. A.B., you are one of my favorite analysts on TV. I've always watched you on Fox. And now that I, you, know, you, see, you come on CNN now because Fox has lost it, even though sometimes it's, it's all right during like Brett Bear show. <laughs> Which you which you appear on? I but, still do Brett Bear show. Yes. I do Shep, I do Dana, and I do Neil Cavuto. Oh, the the same people over at Fox. I I'll say that I don't want to put you out there, but um, but I'm so glad to see you also on CNN. And I was like, I've got to get AB on on my show because you just give such a straight analysis on things, and you you don't pull any punches, which I don't either. So I appreciate that about you. Um, so welcome. Well, Tara, it's been so much fun to get to know you, and it's a delight to be on your podcast with you. Thank you. Well, it's been a day, I would say. Um, here we are, post midterms, um, and I thought that we were just going to be able to just kind of jump into the nitty gritty of who did what and who lost where. But we've got to talk about the sessions news today. And for those who don't know or who have been under a rock. Um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions got fired one day after the midterms. I mean, the ink wasn't even dry on the ballots and Sessions is out. What's your reaction? It's so interesting, too, that CNN is reporting that uh, John Kelly was dispatched to break the news to um, the Attorney General and that he wanted to make it to the end of the week. I mean, it is Wednesday, but uh, that the Chief of Staff made it clear it had to be today. It was really sad to see him leave um, I just watched a clip of him leaving uh, the Department of Justice to about in the dark to about 150 people outside employees clapping for him and thanking him and shaking his hand and um, and, you know, just expressing their solidarity with him. And we knew this was coming. But the um, consequences and the ramifications of this are very serious. And um, I. I know that President Trump likes to change the subject, so you and I know that the timing is interesting not only because it's kind of defiant in the face of a, of a Democratic win in the House, but it's also a way to get the conversation off of what you and I were going to talk about, which is, you know, the natural discussion tonight would have been 
kind of what this means in terms of Republicans being devastated uh, in the suburbs uh, what with do you mean, highly Rebel? educated voters. What do you mean so, devastated? This was a right because it's such a great victory. Yes. I know. <laughs> According but the to President thing, Trump, is really um, is is really uh, unreal. I've started to notice a few interesting tweets. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you saw Mitt Romney weighing in mm-hmm. and Susan Collins and Lamar Alexander saying, of course, only someone could replace the attorney general who will, you know, let the Mueller investigation continue unimpeded. But um, the acting attorney general, Mr. Whitaker, is um, a controversial figure because he's obviously uh, he's a partisan who uh, has made it clear in um, statements and tweets. And I guess um, you know, he's been on CNN a bunch in 2017, making clear he thought the Mueller probe was a witch hunt and it should be um, constrained by budget reductions. And, you know, it, it basically that there were ways to grind it to a halt. And so the fact that he is now the attorney general, um, it means that Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, is no longer in charge of that probe that Mr. Whitaker is. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Republicans in the coming days from um, people who are watching this carefully, even though a campaign is over, obviously people at Stand Up Republic and other you know groups that are focused on um, our fragile democracy and the challenges it's facing, and 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 the the threats that all of the undermining um, the president continues to do to the rule of law um, is ultimately going to going to mean, I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on members to say whether or not Mr. Whitaker is good enough and whether or not he's, uh, they believe that he can um, let the investigation continue unimpeded. There is so much the shock value in not only the pace of the events today, um, just with everyone just digesting what happened with the midterms. Then the president had a rather spectacular press conference today, which was extraordinary in and of itself. We'll get to that in a second too. Um, but then to have this news come down, which is not really that much of a shock, as you said, we, we, uh, Jake Tapper called it the, the, the slow walking uh, Saturday night massacre, referring to the, the Nixon Saturday night massacre during Watergate. Exactly. It's pace, you know, Sessions has basically been a dead man walking for a year and a half. But the timing is suspicious in that it he knew that this would change the subject. And then for who he decided to put in, this Matt Whitaker, you're right, he is very controversial. Um, he is a partisan. It was on Don Lemon's program where he made those statements. This was prior to his assignment over at the Department of Justice, where he made those comments about uh, being able to basically starve the Mueller investigation to death as a way of stopping it by withholding the money, holding the purse strings. All of these things, I think, and, and for full disclosure, I am a board member of Stand Up Republic, which was started I know. by Evan McMullen and Mindy Finn. Um, after uh, Donald Trump. And, you know, our, the whole point of our organization is to preserve democratic norms, institutions, and ideals that we feel Donald Trump is attacking on a daily basis. And this right here is exactly what we feared. And will the will Republicans step up? That is, be, that is probably one of the biggest concerns for those of us who are looking at this from a macro level uh, of, of what happens next post-midterms, but also this had an impact on the way people voted. And you started to talk about the the slaughter that Republicans received 
in the suburbs. And this is one of those things. The rule of law, accountability. Will the Republicans step up and do this? Do you, I'm not so sure. Maybe in the Senate, maybe, because as you named, there were a couple. I forgot Lamar Alexander was even still in the Senate. He's still around. Lamar, Lamar Alexander. You don't hear much from Lamar, him. Lamar Alexander, to give him credit, he's actually my favorite senator. Lamar Alexander quit leadership years ago so he could be productive right, uh, on behalf of the taxpayers, well, so he could legislate, well, so he could work good. across the aisle. And he's he is a great member, but the reason people forget he's there is because he stays in the background and obviously probably shares a lot of the sentiment of Bob Corker, his retiring junior senator, um, but doesn't want to talk about Trump. And so he sort of runs from committee room to committee room, <laughs> dodging the, um, the explosions um, every two hours. And so um, he, it, it is interesting. He's one of the only people that came out, in addition to Romney and Susan Collins, today already. But you raise a good question, and this is why, you know, I brought up, standard Republican people who, Republicans for the rule of law, people who are watching what this, you know, like you said, a macro look, a helicopter view of what's going on that's sort of burning on the ground every day. Uh, the erosion, the grinding down, and everyone tunes it out because they say, oh, we knew Sessions would get fired, and we heard this before, you know, the midterms, and they were straight up honest about this. And But this is the kind of thing that long-term is, is such a threat post-Trump, post, you know, really for, for, for years to come. If, right. if the Republicans manage to abdicate their responsibility as a co-equal branch of government in a separation of powers, if they ab continue to abdicate their responsibility to stand up to this, we are, they are going to help Trump succeed in eroding the judiciary, the rule of law, law enforcement, the truth, um, and the separation of powers. And so it's very upsetting to me, um, this Republican acquiescence. I've written about it constantly. Mm -hmm. I talk about it constantly. And it's really on them because they gave President Trump the keys to the bus. He's at the steering wheel. They didn't have to, but they continuously um, refused to stand up uh, to this. And I think the actual new margin in the Senate, Tara, uh, makes the president feel emboldened. Um, the, the, minor, the majority leader was already out today saying, oh, you want to investigate the president? That's really presidential harassment. I, which is just and so, unbelievable. Which is unbelievable. So the saying, idea is that they're nakedly mm -hmm. admitting that they're there to support a political figure, the man, instead of the Constitution, and um, can you believe that, though, the irony and, and of that I, coming from I, Republicans? I, mean, I know. And, and I spoke to the ones that I'm, you know, have relationships with uh, for the first for, for 16 and 17 extensively and obviously in 15. And I've got to tell you, Tara, uh, about halfway through 2017, we first heard of a threat to Bob Mueller in June of 17. Right. Going on for, I mean, well, like a month after. He, yep. And so the idea of, I would talk to them privately and they would say, what are we going to do, A.B.? What are we going to do? Ugh. My brother loves him. My voters love him. They say, help him. And, you know, my answer was, what you're going to do is you're going to do your job if he fires Bob Mueller. Or tries to because, or 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 threatens the investigation in any way because you took an oath to the Constitution, not the man. You're not your 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 voters, and you're not your sister. You have a higher burden. 
Exactly. You're a senator. Exactly. And Amen. you, you know, and that you, I'm sorry, you, you signed up for the tough job. And so this is going to be an incredibly interesting couple of weeks during the lame duck, a lot of volatility, leadership races in both parties on the House side, a Democratic Party banging around, stumbling around, having no idea what <laughs> it's about or what the message was. Um, and, and this, as he storms from one explosive, chaotic controversy to the next, because as you mentioned in that press conference, it was so obvious how really in a corner he feels, how angry he is. Um, and so the idea that Republicans are just going to let Matt Whitaker step up and um, start doing things at DOJ we know nothing about, uh, and I don't know the future of Rod Rosenstein's employment either, uh, is really incredibly frightening, and I, and I blame Republicans completely. This is just because their voters gave him better margins in the Senate doesn't mean their responsibility doesn't still lie with them. That is so well said. That is a that is a point that I think is lost too often in the conversation about what happens on a daily basis since Donald Trump has become president of the United States. Those of us in the never Trump movement um, have been so emphatic about these exact types of scenarios and why holding Donald Trump accountable for all of the unconventional things that he does that his supporters say they oh they love it because he's not a politician and he's just you know owning the libs and he's finally standing up for us or whatever the <laughs> hell that is you know right and I'm like wait a minute okay this is not a Paul Begala who I had on last week and who's one of my favorite um Democrats I just love Paul and I used to I used to have a um I used to like not stand him at all I couldn't stand him and I told him that we were joked about it when he was an operative for Clinton back in the 90s. But, uh, but now he's, he said he's matured. And I said, yes, you have. And it it like, really doesn't matter if you disagree with every polit uh, policy position he's on. He's just got such a way with words. He he's does. like a... He's like a like everything he says is like a limerick. It's hilarious. It's so true. And so to um, I think it was this morning. Um, I forgot what Trump tweeted. I think it was the threat about um, if the if the Democrats want to investigate in the House, then the Senate will investigate them. The, you know the tit for right. tat thing. Another and, another naked play for an yes, abuse of power. <laughs> so I mean exactly. But Paul Begala tweeted, "Isn't that a Isn't he? Doesn't that make him a banana Republican?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's why I, know, I love you, Paul so clever. Things but, you wish you had thought of. Exactly. But the point of that is that this is how banana republics operate. This is how autocrats operate. You can't, authoritarians, you can't just decide on a whim that you're just going to, you know, dictate to the Department of Justice what they're going to do, that you're just going to tell senators what they're going to do. We have a constitutional republic and a system set up and processes that are constitutionally protected and separation of powers for a reason to avoid these things. So to your point about the elected officials who are like, well, my sister loves him and well, my, you know, my constituents love him. Well, I'm, that's wonderful, but uh, they love yeah. Jerry Springer too. That doesn't mean I we need to make and him president of the United that's States. That's the line every time. What, what are we going to do, A.B.? Just come out every day and criticize every tweet. What are we going to do? And what they're going to do, unfortunately, um, is God forbid someday Chelsea Clinton is president? Is there going to be no rule of law? There's going right. to be no free press right. that anyone trusts. There's going to be no judiciary that people trust, and they're going to wish that they had it all back. Yep, and then it's going to be too late, and and that's the the biggest fear that those of us in in the Never Trump movement 
have because you know the bill yeah. crystals of the world and you know and evan mcmullins and those of us who are and charlie sykes and and tom nichols and you know all of those rick rick wilson and steve schmidt like we're all trying to sound the alarm that people we you can't keep eating candy every day and then when your teeth fall out complain and bl- blame the candy makers this is what we're doing and and I just, when I um, heard, I was actually getting ready to go on air and I was standing in front of a camera and heard it through my IFB that Sessions was fired. And I went, oh my God, because I just so I just knew what that, what the cascade of events was going to be after this. And yeah. but I'm just like, it, can it get any worse? So, uh, you know, Republicans w- with a larger margin, I guess it's a good transition into t- kind of the midterms and what they mean now at this point. Um, you know, people are looking at this and not everybody follows politics as closely as we do. They just kind of see like, oh, Democrats won some stuff. And so, <laughs> yes, but right, Republicans right. won some stuff, too. And so there are implications to that. There are, you know, it, here's a perfect example, real life example, what's going on now with the with the Department of Justice and the Attorney General with the Republicans now controlling uh, what is it? 54 seats now. Cause there's a couple seats that were still not called, but they have right. a majority. That yeah. means that they are the one, they're the ones who confirm judges, they confirm cabinet members and they have their own set of committee oversight. It's almost like a red, like the blue kind of puddle, maybe <laughs> hit the red wall in, in the Senate. What do you think is more consequential here, the, the Republicans holding the Senate or the Democrats taking over the House? Well, it, it, you're right. It's so interesting because it, 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 you have to go beneath the surface to really understand how what this interplay is going to how is, things are going to change. Um, people think, oh, well, the Democrats are going to run the House. So it, it and then there's been Republican Senate. So everyone will have to be bipartisan. But because it's divided government. Of course, the markets love it because they love certainty of gridlock. But right, especially the health. What people don't sector. understand is that the best, and what you understand is that the best, most bipartisan, most consensus building Republicans got wiped out last night because of President Trump, and then he blamed them and shamed them at a press conference today by in name. The most atrocious thing I've seen in a really long yep. time um, that the President of the United States, for everyone to know acted like a really mean nursery schooler and sat in the corner um, blaming everyone else uh, in a really cruel and vindictive way for their losses in races that they lost because of him. Barbara Comstock, Virginia 10, Carlos Cabrera, Florida 26, Mike Hoffman in Colorado 6. I could go on and on and on. Mia Love in Utah 4. Just, just, it was beyond the imagination. And so he... So, so the, the, the conference, the House Republican conference that you've worked with and you know so well is now much Trumpier than it was yesterday, come January. And that makes things really hard because uh, who's going to talk to the Democrats about the spending bill to keep the lights on and the government functioning and stopping shutdowns and all the stuff that they still manage to do despite the fact the rest of the government is paralyzed. Or on the Senate side, by building that margin – I think the Trump administration thinks this is great because before 2020, they want to dump a bunch of deadweight cabinet secretaries with a Republican majority in the House. They had a free-for-all, a romper room of ethical misdeeds and do whatever you want, however you want, uh, <laughs> corruption. And everyone got to run up like 
investigations in the double digits. I mean, I think Pruitt was over 20. Scott Pruitt at EPA. Now we have Zinke, Ryan Zinke and Interior is over up to 17. I think they want to get rid of the dead weight and they want, they believe that this new bigger margin is going to help them, as you said, confirm cabinet secretaries uh, continue on the, you know, the judge train, which makes, uh, you know, everybody happy and conservatives thrilled and will, and, and I think Trump believes is the path to his reelection. So they're very excited about a bigger majority in the Senate for that reason. So you'll see potentially a new uh, education secretary, commerce secretary, interior. Um, and, and so that part is understandable. Um, but the idea of, uh, what the Senate, what the big Senate majority can do um, while the House looks into trying to get a hold of the president's tax returns and investigates, you know, the president's business dealings with the Saudi kingdom and on and on. There's 52 subpoenas that were turned down by the Republicans um, in, the, in the first two years of the Trump administration of, on topics the Democrats wanted investigated. So because Republicans provided no oversight and we're going to see Democrats providing, you know, the constitutionally required oversight of the executive branch. Um, and again, in, in, a, in, a, in a total stinky, seated swamp of an administration where everyone was allowed to do whatever they wanted um, is, is, is that is the mandate from the voters, not impeach, but in, investigate and 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 the, the the and the party over there at sixteen hundred. But the problem is um, that that over on the Senate side with these newly elected senators who are beholden to Trump because he rallied for them and everything. I mean, I think they'll give interviews and say things like this is presidential harassment, but they can't stop the House Judiciary Committee or the House That's Oversight right. Committee. So it's 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 going to be a, a really tough time. And President Trump made clear today he tried to say, uh, you either get my cooperation um, and you don't investigate or you investigate and we're on a war footing. So, And he literally, I mean, for those who didn't hear it, he literally yeah. used those terms. Yeah. War footing. So he, he basically said that he's going to... That, that the the separate and co-equal branches are supposed to not only legislate but provide oversight of the investigative uh, of the executive branch. Excuse me, can only do one thing. He's going to let them do one. And he doesn't so this get is to make be, that decision, which is no, he doesn't. You know, I mean, I'm as, just saying as for we people know, Tara, who don't know, you know, like the president. Doesn't he get to has make never decision. let the Constitution, the course of the Congress, get in his way because he wants what he wants and he wants it how he wants. And if and he, what, the great thing is, he tells the public completely out in out front. Um, you know, I think that my attorney general is my personal lawyer. He should have protected me from the Russian investigation. He never should have recused himself from the Russian investigation. I mean, yeah. Where's he's my very Cole? up. He's yeah. yeah, he's very upfront about smashing norms and behaving like an autocrat. But don't you think that we run the risk? And I agree with you that the oversight aspect of the Republicans' job. They completely abdicated that. I mean, Devin Nunes was an absolute joke as the Intelligence uh, Committee chairman. He behaved in political ways that usually don't happen in a committee like that. The Intelligence Committee was one of those committees that usually was pretty bipartisan because intelligence and foreign policy and things was supposed to stop at the water's edge. That went out the window with Devin Nunes as head of the intelligence committee. Well, he's gone now. He's no longer going to be chairman of that committee. Uh, Adam Schiff, I think, is is uh, next in line for that. Yes, he is. Um, 
that's going to be that that committee is going to be run in a whole different way. But I'm concerned that the Democrats may overreach because as much as I want to see Trump's tax returns, as much as I want to see all of those conflicts of interest and businesses and everything else investigated, and they should be. I just don't know if it's so much that the American people are going to go. It's kind of baked into the cake already that Trump is corrupt. He's a businessman. Oh, he does things unconventionally. So what? I have a tax cut and we have lots of jobs. I just think the Democrats are going to overreach potentially because the seduction of the power of the subpoena is pretty strong. Right. Well, I I mean, it's up to them. If they don't remember Dan Burton and the overreach um, mm-hmm. of the Republicans during the Clinton years, That's right. then they're going to reap what they sow. The, the the way to do this is to choose the most important things, like what goes on in the Trump administration with the approval of security clearances? Why did Rob Porter, you know, what happened with Rob Porter? What happened with Jared? What ha- What is the process over there? That's a perfectly legitimate investigation. Mm-hmm. Is the Trump family, the Trump org, violating the emoluments clause in the Constitution by continuing to maintain business ties that are connected to foreign governments, that are trying desperately to influence this president? Uh, that's, that's an important investigation. If you, you have to pick your battles, and I don't think they should do it right away. I think they should get their ducks in a row and not send any subpoenas for months. If they are smart, that's what they'll do. Um, but, um, you're right. There's, I, I think the Democrats are in a real state in their party. They're really struggling between the freelance socialism wing and the kind of, uh, the Democrats that would like to stay, um, win back some Trump voters who Obama won twice, stay the course, um, that maybe the Clintons were once on, and they're now completely persona non grata. No, no one will let them near any of their campaigns um, or any of these discussions, and they're smart to do that. But, you know, some kind of center-left uh, pro-business um, strain that is really disappearing from the party. So there is that tension, uh, and the centrists are not being loud enough, in my opinion, uh, save for Senator Coons of Delaware, who seems to be the only person who says, like, let's not jump with both feet first into this, um, you know, progressive abolish ICE extremism. Mm-hmm. And so th- with all of that tension going on, there's definitely the more potential for overreach, not only that they've been out of power for a while and the Trump swamp is such a, you know, it, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. There's so many things to investigate mm-hmm. that they could, you know, jump with both feet in there. But it's, uh, but it's also because they're going to be fighting with each other about what the voters really meant, what's going to raise the dollars for 2020, who, what kind of a nominee. Um, and the worst thing that the Democrats could do is go, you know, Michael Avenatti, which is oh to, to go full, you know, to, to, to decide that. Trump, on, but on their right, side. To, right. The, right. And that's, and that's what I got a lot of pushback, you know, MSNBC viewers sending me angry emails when I was on there after the Elizabeth Warren, like video DNA debacle. Yeah, that was so ridiculous. You know, three weeks before a midterm, it was just so unself-aware and so um, narcissist and just really bizarre and sort of Hillary Clinton-esque. And, and she just did the wrong thing. And everyone's like, no, you don't understand. You know, we, we, we're not going to lie down and play dead anymore. And writing me these, you know, emails, and it's just like, the, so there's all this liberal pressure 
on the poor Democrats who are going to try to beat Trump in 2020, let alone run the Congress on the House side, to, you know, go gladiator. And I just think that that's the worst thing possible. Do you think that because of that tension that there may not be room for a Joe Biden to run? Because I mean, right. I, I mean, Joe Biden, I think, is the even though I mean, his age is a consideration, but his his, um, his appeal to the types of Trump voters who did vote for Obama twice and on Joe Biden, um, I think he's the only one out of that whole crop that has the ability to do that in an authentic way and has already done it because they did win re-election. He was Obama's vice president. He's a scrappy guy from Scranton. And he could t- he, he won't back down from a fight. And, he, and him fighting back against Trump is not him trying to beat Trump. Biden was already like that. Not Trumpy, but just kind of a you know, straight shooter and appeals. And he's legitimately uh, one of those um, blue-collar Democrats in the way that he grew up and where he came from and how he's how he carried himself as a legislator. I just think that he would, he's the type of candidate they need. But then the flip side of it, people will say, yeah, but look at Beto. We need a Beto or work. You know, he's like, a, I, right. you know, he's, yeah. a, he's a Barack Obama. Uh, I and think like, that the, no. the best thing for them, I mean, the best, I, I totally agree with you on Biden and he is the one that scares Trump. Yes, of course. And he he's it. the one that scares Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so if you bring in Biden to say, you know, I've I can talk to the guy who's a shift worker who showers when he gets home, but I can also I have relationships with every single world leader, um, all of these things. The, the key to Biden um, kind of steamrolling through the vicious primary politics on the Democratic side to try to build enough sort of early juggernaut level support, you know, to jump over. I mean, I look, we could talk for four more hours, Tara, right. about the 25 Democrats or 30 running, thinking that they can run from New York and California. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's going to cut it Yeah. Um, with the rest of the country. So it's such a mess over there. They're going to do exactly what the Republicans do and does provide someone with a stronger plurality while everyone's getting their 13 cent for percent for someone to rise up with their 14.5 and consolidate just like Trump did. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know they built a juggernaut behind Hillary Clinton and that was a mistake, but um, if, if Biden can work around, work it be kind of quietly now and say, I will serve one term and I will choose Beto. That's interesting. Um, And I will bring up the kid and they will be ready four years in and they're young and they're electric and they're tomorrow and they're the future and they're not the past. I think that that could be um, that could that, be a good mix. That is actually fascinating. And I and I think brilliant, Amy. I don't know. I think you broke news today. If we see a, <laughs> if we say a Biden Beto uh, ticket in 2020, I can say A.B. Stoddard said it first on. Honestly oh, speaking. you're so sweet. <laughs> But I, I do think that it, I mean, I don't necessarily believe it has to be a woman. I'm sure you saw the uh, matchups in Axios reporting yes. last week that Trump lost every matchup to uh, a Democratic woman. Well, it depends on the woman. As That's I correct. said, I just don't think that Elizabeth Warren's in her 70s. She's a scold. I, I just don't see her. Um, she doesn't represent the country. And I'm sorry to Kamala Harris and Andrew Cuomo and Mike Bloomberg and all these people, but you can't 
nominate someone from California and New York. No. We're, that's not, Could you imagine that's not going to work. In the Midwest and in the South, it's not going to, it's just not good. They're not going to resonate. Trump has those areas on lock and uh, he'll, he'll steamroll right over all of them because they'll come across as just your typical politicians. They're not going to, they're not going to rally the troops. I just don't see that happening. They're they're And the, and the interesting thing about Beto is that, and, and I look, I don't like cults. I'm upset about cults of personality. Yes. But, you know, if the Democrats really want to to fight fire with fire on Trump, I mean, don't do the ugly, beastly gladiator thing. But, I mean, Beto has a cult following. Yeah, he does. He's, he, he, he basically breathes money. I mean, the guy, and what was it, over $70 million? $70 million, dollars. That yeah. is unbelievable. In, in the scheme of things for a Democrat in a Texas Senate race. Democrats he is a have congressman from El Paso. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> and, and, and he was dreaming an impossible dream, but, right. but he could make the play nationally. He could say, look, I think in the next two years we can try to purple Texas more. We can try. You know, we, we only lost by 2.5%. Um, who knows? I mean, it's an interesting... Um, it is interesting. But I don't think he should be the first on the ticket. Right. That's right. That, Too young. Uh, yeah. Too. That, well, that was the Marco Rubio problem. Um, yeah. People saw him as being too young and didn't see him as being presidential enough. And then obviously he tried to go full Trump against Trump and that didn't work and that just destroyed him. Um, Barack Obama was a, was a fascinating dynamic because he basically came out of nowhere as a state senator in Illinois with a funny name that no one ever heard of um, to emerge after what was it a year and a half as a senator in uh, right in Illinois to become what he became because he was able to give a good speech and made gave gave people the you know chills when he spoke and that's all it takes it takes a good speaker you make people I if people can relate to you and you make them feel a certain way you give them something to grab grab onto you got them hooked and Barack Obama right. chose hope and you know hope and change and Donald Trump chose fear and loathing. And I think, Tara, what's interesting for the next person also is to try to find someone who has the uh, discipline to not take the fight to Trump. It's sort of the counterintuitive, because what I think Democrats, who again, I mean, I really counted Democrats out last night. Before last night, I said voters of color and young people are not going to vote. They never vote in midterms. You know, they let Obama down in 10 and 14. What do we know? They're not going to show up. You know, they showed up better, it, 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 better than they ever have, um, but, it, but they need some work. But um, the one thing the Democrats did in the last, first of all, they focused on health care like a laser, which was incredibly shrewd. Uh, they, but they just refused to get distracted by the caravan craziness. And so they didn't take Trump's bait right. in these last three weeks. And it drove him more crazy. He started lying more and saying more kooky things, and 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 I think that 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 it's gonna and it's it's just someone like Elizabeth Warren going wild with him every day is just I think not what the voters want. And I think that Beto did a, he really rarely spoke about Trump. He talked about what he could do for Texas. That's right. He localized and, it. Yeah, and I just think if you can find someone who has the discipline to say, oh, that's the nickname he gave me today, that's funny. Well, I'm going to go talk about 57 water mains breaking every day in this country today. That's what I'm right. doing today. That's exactly, you know. I'm going right. to Flint today, or yeah. I'm, you know, and if they can resist it, and I don't think Hillary could, you know, if they can just let it roll off their back, 
that is going to be a very different dynamic. That's right. If they can behave like the adults in the room, like, oh, you're calling me a nickname today. Well, right. we, you know, we're solving the uh, pre-existing condition issue, and that's plaguing you know, Illinois by doing exactly. X, Y, and Z, and this is how we did it. No, I think you're, you're right about that, it, but that's a big if because that, that it's so tempting and difficult not to want to punch back because sometimes you just want to, you just can't help yourself because it's so outrageous. The things that Trump does. I know. I I know. And that's why you see like Cory Booker, just, he thinks he's like in fighting form to come out. And, and, and I just think people are over it. You know, they boomerang. I I just, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I would like boring. Maybe the rest of the country doesn't want it, but I, um, uh, yes. I really would. I, I really would like Amy Klobuchar. I would like some Midwestern, measured, you know, calm um, person, even subdued, uh, because I, I really think that this idea of trying to go um, reality TV against him is just is just so bad for the culture. It's just, you know, for the larger picture. Yeah, really. Well, I think that that's um, uh, for the, you know, we've got a couple more minutes and I want to just talk a little bit about the role of women uh, in this in the midterms um, and the impact that women, not only candidates, but voters had uh, in this midterm election, unlike we've seen in probably a generation since 1992. And I think that the when you, earlier in, the, in our conversation, you brought up how the Republicans got their asses handed to them in suburban districts. And I attribute that and it looks like the data is attributing that a lot to suburban educated white women. And women voted with Democrats by 20 points. 20 points. Yesterday. That is an extraordinary gender gap. And I think a lot of that has to do with women just being fed up with Trump and Trumpism and the people who are following him acting like children. And they wanted to be adults and leave it to the women to say enough is enough. We need to be the adults in the room. We're going to change it and rejecting this to- the tone and tenor. And how do you think that's going to carry over into 2020, though? That's so interesting. So I think that, like I said, the, demo- the temptation on the part of the Democrats will, to- will be to insist that it has to be a woman. Um, and it- and I-, I don't know about that because, again, I don't. I didn't think all the women were going to vote for Hillary. Uh, and, and I remember Democrats, I know, I remember Democrats saying, oh, she'll have all the women. I was like, oh, no, she won't. That's right. Um, uh, it was amazing but, how many women were like, um, I mean, like Democratic women who were, or yeah. and independent women who were like, I just can't do it. I'd rather take a chance on Trump than, than, than vote for her. How much they people underestimated her. the Hillary hate. It was just, they just didn't understand how people recoiled from her sense of yep. entitlement, how corrupt she was. All of it. So, so looking at the role of women, I, I, I'm excited that a hundred women are coming to the house or are, are going to be in the house now. I'm excited about more women in the process. I'm excited that women in both parties are getting more involved, and I really want more women in both parties. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a sexist. I'm very sort of pro woman problem solver. I think they <laughs> um, are just better at it. And I have an interesting thing to share with you. I was in an off the record um, with some Republican women candidates and incumbents recently uh, for the House. And I just found it so interesting that when we were asking them about women this year engaging their constituents, their volunteers on their campaigns, whatever, 
they tended to say things like, um, you know, I don't think of myself as a woman. I just think I wanted to get into this, to solve problems and everything. And I said, but I think women are better managers of people. They're mm. better team leaders. They read to the end of the email. Men don't. <laughs> they listen. Mm. You know, just that I was excited, you know, and they to, that I thought that it was that that was a selling point, that you go to your constituents when you start a campaign and you say, I'm actually telling you that this is a huge strength and that we don't have enough of them in the House or the Senate in either party. Um, so and I they, think and they I've, pushed back on that to say, you know, we, we don't want to brand ourselves as well, because we're women, we're better. We just wanted to say we're better. I get that. I mean, they tend to say, oh, no, I just think of myself yeah, as a legislator yeah. or a problem solver. But 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 I was thinking, no, it's time to sell. Right. It's time to admit that the lack of women in this process is one of the problems with our system. Yeah. And that women need to get more involved. That the, the Democratic and Republican women can sit down and speak to each other so much more easily at the negotiating table in a Senate conference that's gone off the rails and is really tense or, you know, than than a, a, a Democratic man and a Democratic uh, Republican man. 100%. And that this is actually that we have you know, we bring something to the table that they don't. And I think it should be celebrated. So I just hope going forward, you know, um, that that is something that um, as women get more engaged in the process, that if they sell, you know, the fact that they're better listeners, that they're better managers, they're better team leaders, they're better team players, that they, you know, they're, they're more thorough about the details, that they're more humble, that, that they're more nurturing. I mean, just all of those things, um, I think, just make for better problem solvers and crisis managers. But anyway, well, moving think, on from yeah, that, I, no, I, I hope I, that people, um, I hope that more women join the process on both, on both sides. Uh, I desperately do. And, and I think that it's been a very tough time. And you know, this as a Republican woman for Republican women to step into the fray because they don't want to answer questions about a misogynist for the next three or four or five years. That's right. And I think in the this, white house. Right, and so they're right. like, maybe I'll do this later. Yes. You know, and can you and blame them? And that's too bad. I know. I don't blame them. I, I get it. Uh, but I think that this election has broken a lot of barriers for women. Um, the diversity of the women, whether I agree with their policies or not, it's a different argument. But just the diversity of the type of women who are elected this, this time around, I think really has opened the door for more women, making it okay for different kinds of women to run for office. And I think that's always a good thing. So, um, yeah. As as we close, I just wanted to see for, for you, because I when I looked at kind of where the Republicans did well and where they didn't, uh, I was struck by the the states that basically put Donald Trump over in the Electoral College. A lot of people don't realize that Donald Trump won by a razor thin majority in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan. We're talking about 77,000 votes between those three states to put him over in the Electoral College. Those states, did Republicans did not do well in. Do you think that that is a precursor for, or spelling some trouble for Trump? I mean, he solidified his base in the South, but in that crucial swing kind of Midwest area, the Republicans didn't do so great. Tara, that is, that is ball game of today's results. Um, it doesn't mean that he can't win in 2020, but it makes his electoral path so much harder. You are right. A lot of people do not. I talk when I talk to groups and I say, 
This person won by Mitt Romney lost the election in 2012 in an, what was deemed an electoral uh, college uh, uh, landslide for Obama. He only lost by fewer than 334,000 votes in four states. Yep. Hillary lost by 77,000 votes in three states where Jill Stein's margin was material. Mm-hmm. Trump was wiped out at the gubernatorial level. Um, the senators, with ease, never had a problem, Casey, in Pennsylvania for re-election Wasn't there. Close. Senator Baldwin in Wisconsin, Senator Stabenow in Michigan, and the governorship. So this and a po- definitely and complicates a, things. A popular governor in Wisconsin, and Scott Walker, who was a presidential yeah. candidate for five seconds, he's out. Yeah. It's, it's a very big thing for Democrats who had their core shaken and believed they could never compete in the Midwest again after the 2016 election. That said, Republicans and, and President Trump are delighted today that the hold they have in Ohio and Florida is still strong enough that they got governors there for 2020. That's very important for his infrastructure and those key battlegrounds. Um, Florida was close. He almost didn't get it, and as I understand it, he dispatched a bunch of smart people to take over Ron DeSantis' campaign that was flailing, um, and they got the job done. But, um, but yeah, the Midwest, uh, that, is, um, that, that really changes um, the, the plan uh, going forward to him um, getting to um, an electoral college victory again because only a few places matter, That's and correct. only a few people can tip it. And the Russians know that, unfortunately. 100,000, I believe, Michiganders last time left the top blank and only voted down ballot because they hated both of them so much. Um, it just comes down to, to small numbers, and, and he would really like to have had uh, some infrastructure in, uh, and some party control in, one, in, in at least one of those three, and, and he doesn't. Quick lightning, and that's a challenge. A quick lightning round as, as uh, we close. Does Mueller survive? before the end of the year? I think that he keeps Mueller there so he can tell people I've never fired Bob Mueller because that's a good like bumper sticker for people who don't <laughs> pay attention. It's what happens to the Mueller uh, probe behind closed doors. That's the way. The slow, the slow rolling massacre of the investigation is the, is the way to go if you were going to do it and not fire him outright. What race surprised you the most, race or races, Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) This, I mean, Tara, when I, I've covered the House, I've covered the Congress a long time, longer than I want to admit. I remember when Mike Pence and Mark Sanford and Jeff Flake as House members were the hardest votes to get on budgets. They were the original Tea Partiers. Right. They were the original fiscal conservatives, the original Freedom Caucus guys, and they didn't sell out on anything, okay? And now they're rhinos, with the exception of Pence. Because it's a cult of personality. Um, even though they're the fiscal conservatives, they're just the, the they're considered rhinos in the MAGA world. Right. And so the idea that Mark Sanford in South Carolina won was ousted by Katie Arrington in a primary because he was anti-Trump. Yes. And she declared that they were the party of Trump, and she lost to Joe Cunningham, who is this great middle of the roader centrist democrat who goes his mantra was his, his um campaign slogan was low country over party which i absolutely <laughs> love awesome now that's south carolina one south carolina won yeah. a re, a reliably republican district and yeah. and 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 that is just a terrible loss for republicans hey. so that was my like just how you can't make it up 
right. surprise of the night. Right. Uh, what about uh, the the uh, the woman in in uh, Oklahoma City, Kendra yes. Horn? Yes, Oklahoma Five, amazing. She's like a fifth generation Oklahoman, and she just knew her stuff. She motivated young people. She hung together. She doesn't talk about the controversial issues. She only talked about, you know, policy and localized it extremely well. And um, again, that was just one of those things where you just don't see it coming. You know, you just don't understand. If people go register new voters, they stay kind of quiet. They don't, you know, get themselves on hardball. Uh, they can just they they can affect these these come from behind victories. And she just she was in an interview today and she did not she didn't take the bait. She didn't go national. Mm-hmm. You know, she just wouldn't talk about anything except her constituents. They're and to, um, they're, they're very disciplined. And those are the Democrats who are going to give Nancy Pelosi our dime. They're going to say, you know, the veterans coming in, the people who are centrists. And they're going to say, I can't do your reindeer games because I'm going to lose in two years if I do. How about the, the, the irony of that, that it used to be the Republicans who had the centrists, who were the veterans who would come in to try to, you know, be the adults in the room with the with the crazy tea partiers over on the right for Republicans. Now it's the, the Democrats who have a centrist uh, contingent that's coming in that's going to give potential heartburn to Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I just find that fascinating the, just how the pendulum has swung because we've both been around long enough uh, for me at least since the 90s where republicans took over then we lost some and then the democrats came back and got it back and then we got it back in 2010 and it's just been the dynamics of all this have been have just been fascinating for those for us political nerds who follow this right this i mean it, it really is true it's 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 such a it's so volatile and you and i having i mean having watched it since 94 i just know that if if they don't get that that you only get the majority for a few minutes right. before you overreach and get booted, then um, they're drinking some Kool Aid because they need to listen to people. If you get if you win Oklahoma five, you better hold it. That's, Do that's right. Everything you can. That's right. Um, and that is going to be really interesting. Um, they need to build on also the ones that they lost. Some Republican districts where they came very close, but. Um, but they, if, if they continue to invest in those uh, in those districts, that you know they might have a shot in twenty, just depending on you know whatever loopiness is going on. So um, I, I've always advocated that both parties. I, I'm sick the Republicans have given up on their moderates. Oh my I'm, gosh! I I'm know. sick my about the way that Jersey. President Trump spoke oh. about them today. I mean, Barbara Comstock lost. She is a great member, and she lost only because of President Trump. She's in a district in Virginia 10 that was the perfect storm of anti-Trumpism, high enough minority, high enough income, high enough education. Goodbye. It has nothing to do with her challenger and everything to do with President Trump. I have a confession to make about that race. I vote in Virginia 10, and I voted Uh, against Barbara Comstock strictly because it was a protest vote against Donald Trump. Which oh, okay. So I follow life. you on Twitter, and I must have missed this. Have you, yes. you're out of the closet on this. I am out of the closet on it. And I, this is, yeah. And, and this I, is the thing. I, is it that, made me sick to my stomach to do it. I understand. Amy, but I just but said so I had So many enough. people. There was so much anecdotal evidence of this. So many people saying, "I went in. I didn't even look at the names. I just, yeah. I did all D. I won't vote for Republican until Trump is gone." I saw a woman, um, NBC interviewed her. She said, "I voted Republican all my life, and because of the Kavanaugh hearings, I just went in and did all D. Yeah. I don't even know who they were." And that's, 
I mean, that's just that's happening. And if Republicans, it, they're they're having the worst day today because privately they're so upset about what he did to Mia Love today oh. out loud, Barbara Comstock, yep. and they're yep. so upset about those members losing, and they know they lost just because of Trump, yep. and. So they want to right the ship and they want to reach out and sort of try to make inroads again with college-educated white women. But it's really – they can't because the president's saying it was just hunky-dory. Exactly. Good luck with that. Because, it was a victory. Right. That, I and mean, so they have to just go crawl back in their tunnels. Which is why I question – um, you know, did well. That's why I voted the way I voted, and I talk about this um before our interview about why I decided to vote Democrat for the first time in my life, and it was really just to send a message to shake Republicans and say you guys have got to grow some balls and stand yeah. up because if you don't, we're going to go the way of the Whigs, and we're going to lose good members of Congress like Barbara Comstock or Mia Love or the the, the members like Leonard Lance and those uh in in New I Jersey, know. my home state. That that went down because Democrats were smart enough to recruit candidates who were tough on national security that had experience and said, and were willing to hold Trump accountable. And you know what? They're going to keep losing until they do that. So um, I, I hope they learn the lesson. I don't know. But AB, I've, I've held you. We could talk about this all night. I've held you a lot longer than I said I would. Um, yes or no. Will Democrats impeach Trump? I think if a Mueller, I think they will if a Mueller report comes in with you know real uh, kind of crimes, uh, impeachable conduct. I think they will. I don't think they will absent that. Right. I don't. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I mean, I I thought that they were going to that it was. I'm like the first thing they're going to do is impeach him, and then I'm like, okay, no, they know better than to do that because clearly that's not what the American people necessarily voted them into office to do, unless there is. Uh, you know, concrete examples of high crimes and misdemeanors, then it's their constitutional obligation to move forward with that. He'll never get removed because the Senate won't, won't do it. But the idea of impeachment, it's very ugly. We went through this with Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton, it did nothing but hurt the Republicans. Bill Clinton came out of office, 60% approval rating. And, um, it, you know, it, the Republicans didn't gain anything from it. So, so we'll see. Yeah, it really is a tough call because I believe that impeachment has to be bipartisan. Right. It just can't be partisan. And so it'll be another test for these Republicans that um, that you're talking about and you're protesting. It's like if, if, it, if, if they are impeachable offenses and they impeach Clinton for, for the same or less, what's their call? I mean, right. what do you say, Lindsey Graham? What do you say, you know? If, if Do you say, oh, I'm in a cult of personality now, so I'm sorry I have to back down? <laughs> or do you say, no, it's still the same standard set by the Constitution? So that'll be interesting because I think that if it's bipartisan, it won't hurt the country as much. I agree. Um, it's I a agree. statement about the preservation of these rules and these laws and, and the power of the Constitution. It's a statement that would have to be made if, you know, if it reached that threshold of crime. So, you know. That's going to be a real test for Republicans if the Mueller report is is you know has the meat. I don't know. It's it's just um, we we have to wait and see. All right, Mueller. Crazy time. You know, Bob Mueller, <laughs> listen to us. You need to move it along, even though you know you're really not moving at a pace that's uh, that's not typical. This is about how long things take. But for the sake of the country, for God's sakes, if you got something, Bob Mueller, 
Let us know. <laughs> well, I don't know. This is my final thing. I yeah. have no, obviously, I don't have any Bob Mueller sources. Nobody does. Right, which but is good, I by just the heard Preparo say something on CNN months ago, and he said I, that he thought that the investigation was going to go deep into 2019. And I get this feeling that it's big and sprawling enough. Um, there's now like a new money laundering wrinkle with this Russian guy. I just feel like it could go on and on and on. And why people think something's coming before, before Christmas, I don't I, – that's not my hunch. Yeah, so that's my final no, – that's my I, two cents I, on that. I agree with you on it. I mean I'm just being funny because we're all like waiting with bated breath. And, <laughs> uh, you know, what the hell is – you know, what are the goods that Mueller, Bob Mueller has? And, but you're right. I mean for investigations that are this complicated, they take a while. I mean, Whitewater yeah. was nowhere near as complicated as this, and it took like six freaking years. And we ended up with, a, you know, an oral sex scandal and perjury. I mean, it, these <laughs> things can go. It was not, it started off as a land deal and ended up with a different kind of deal. And, yeah. you know, so I, I just want the investigation to be done right and done with integrity. And I have all the confidence that Bob Mueller will do that. He's one of the best there is. And um, it's a shame what this president is doing to him and to the people who are working, the good people who are working on this. And it's also a shame that Republicans are letting Trump get away with it. But now they have to, they have to deal with the Democrats and answer to somebody, whether they like it or not, because that's actually the way the constitution works. On that yeah. note, A.B. Stoddard, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. We have oh, to Oh, Tara, it's been so much fun. Time. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks, A.B. Okay, take care. Thanks. All right, that's it for the special midterms edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara. Uh, please follow me on social media. You can follow me at honestly underscore Tara. That's for the podcast ask questions, send them to me. I will answer you. What do you want to hear? What are, what are, what are your thoughts? What are, who are some guests you want to hear? You want to have on me? You want me to have on the show? See, I'm in delirious. I can't even put a sentence together. I need some sleep. Um, but do that. I'm very interactive on, on Twitter and social media. So honestly, underscore Tara is the podcast. Twitter at Tara Setmayer is my personal Twitter. And, uh, you can, uh, reach me there too. Cause I'm always, I'm always tweeting away. You can't help it in this day and age. And also on Instagram at the Tara Setmayer. Send me questions. Let's interact. I'm going to ask some questions, try to get the, get the listeners more involved. So thank you for listening next week. Honestly speaking, we'll be back on schedule on Tuesdays and general Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling will be joining me next week for the veterans day edition of honestly speaking. So stay tuned for that one. See you next week.